The Rocks to Roots podcast is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Speak Spokane, presented by Delicious Hamburgers. Speak Spokane is a community-driven studio space where voices from all walks of life can speak and be heard. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Speak Studios and Speak Spokane, and on their website at speakstudios.com. Speak Studios, speak and be heard. This is Rocks to Roots, a podcast presented by the Spokane Conservation District. This podcast series is intended to share education and resources related to land management, conservation practices, and celebrate some of the great stewards of our land here in our region. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. This is another episode of Rocks to Roots. I'm your host, Hillary, and I'm joined by my co-host. Dwayne Spronick. And Dwayne, I think um, I've been pronouncing your last name incorrectly, and you haven't been correcting me. So it's, <laughs> Someone it's, pointed out to me today. I've been saying Zabranic. It's all good. It's Czechoslovakian. <laughs> Supposedly, the ZB is kind of like an SP, but you know what? It's all good. It all means the same. <laughs> I think I just see that Z in a last name and I get so excited to pronounce a Z because it's, it's rare. You know, you see those. <laughs> the only thing I'll, I'll correct somebody on is when they say zebra neck. And I'm like, okay, that's a little <laughs> off there. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, thank you for correcting me. I'll pronounce your name, your last name, more correctly moving forward. Um, but I'm excited for our interview today. We have another South Spokane Farm Corridor member on the podcast. We have Jorge and Madison with Casacano Farms joining us today. Jorge and Madison, how are you guys doing? We're good. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yes, we're so excited to have you on. Um, so I just want to jump into things and would like to ask how many years have you been farming and why did you decide to get into farming? So this is our eighth season, um, with our own farm, Pascano Farms. Um, but I think we've, Jorge started farming when you were 16. Is that right? I, I started working on farms when I was 17 and I'm 30 now. <laughs> Um, wow. And then I I first started dabbling um, and in college um, I worked on the school farm um, so I think we kind of got serious probably towards the end of college um, both Jorge and I went to the University of Montana and studied um, in the environmental studies program focused in sustainable food and farming um, and so we we were there together. And I think we kind of built off of each other and kind of started to create this idea of starting a farm, um, which we we ended up doing <laughs> a few years later. Oh, um, that's great! So you guys met in college and we're kind of we're going through the same classes well, we're, then, or we went, high, we went to high school together. So we, we oh. went to prom together in high school. <laughs> that's awesome! Yeah. High school sweethearts, we got them. I know. But... Yeah, we we both went to Ferris. Um, it is real. That's amazing. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. I know. I forget. We kind of, we've always um, blamed our environmental science teacher at Ferris for getting us interested in farming. That's kind of where it started, I think, for both of us, just learning about the different environmental issues going on and then um, specifically about different ag issues. That kind of and then thinking that, like, the biggest impact we could have for like effective change. Yeah. How can we change the world? Is through agriculture. <laughs> That's what every young person has. <laughs> That's great. And um, so you went to Ferris, and I know your guys' farm is not too far from Ferris either. So that's great. I mean, yeah. it's super local, and you're in your neck of the woods that you've always been in. Um, so how did you guys find your land and secure that land? The land, so we were 
we farmed for three years on a friend from high school's property that was just in, just kind of in the beginning of the Palouse Highway, but closer to 57th, really close to Vets on the farm. And we were there for three years, and then we got just got really lucky, and um, the food the food editor for the Spokesman Review, um, Adriana Janovich at the time, she's not there anymore, but she wrote a really nice article about us and kind of talked about or just mentioned, I guess, that we were looking for land and, and wanting to settle down permanently. And then we got hooked up with the woman yeah. who owned our property ended up calling us. Um, and she, we, she was a friend of a friend of a friend. Um, so there was a connection. So we were, that, that definitely um, made an impact. And so we're, yeah, we're grateful for, for all, all of those connections. Yeah, I think that the article kind of, kind of, of like legitimized us, I guess, that we were this real, real people who really were doing it already and wanted to keep going. Um, and so we were able to buy the property from her through a uh, beginning farmer and rancher loan with the USDA, which is kind of a long process, but it ended up just working out great for us. We wouldn't have been able to do it any other way. That's awesome. And when did the article, that spokesman article, come out for you? I think that, I mean, that would have been like 2014 or 15. Yeah. Maybe 14. Awesome. So when you guys <laughs> purchased the land and got the land, was there anything there already growing previously, or was it just a total clean slate that you were starting with? It was a messy slate. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah, I guess a clean yeah. slate in a first. <laughs> that would be but ideal. It, was, but but it, <laughs> it had never been a, a vegetable farm. Um, and it was a lot of the land was just being used to graze or, I don't keep horses, I guess. Um, and then there was a pig farm here as well that was kind of like centered around a couple of barns. So there were some buildings here that we've been able to salvage and then our house is here too so that was made it easy just to move in and have yeah. a place to live but it's it's kind of a cool history um so it's been so um we i think this is like the third gen we're the third like oh, farmers nice. of um this property um which is cool and there's always been pigs and we still raise pigs um oh, cool. so i always think that's kind of fun that it's, it's been it's been a pig farm for you know over Oh, probably about a hundred. Since 1920. Yeah. So oh, wow. Uh, so um, it's, it's cool that it's it's been a farm, and it's always been a farm, and it's neat for us that we get to keep it a farm, even though we've kind of switched more to produce. Um, it's still a farm. <laughs> and so going from, from, as you said, pigs and horses and all that, uh, how do you just switch over to produce? I mean, what was uh, what made you decide to grow uh, produce and what kind of produce do you grow? I think gardening has always been like pretty central to it. Just even in high school, both of us were really into gardening. And then the farm in college was just produce and they had a hundred member CSA. So like one of our classes and I think the whole time we were at the U of M, we were both every semester we're interning at the school farm. So we had always been like planting vegetables and harvesting vegetables and part of this really beautiful produce centered farming community in Missoula. Um, and lots of people come to this farm and volunteer and it's just this like beautiful, happy magic place. It's called the Peas Farm, like P-E-A-S. Um, and so I think that was always like what the center of kind of what we were going to do was. And so we just kept running with that I guess and when we first started in Spokane we had I think two cows and four pigs but then everything else was produce and we've since added more livestock but um, it's always been kind of this CSA or farmers market oriented farm where we grew like a huge diversity of produce. Do you feel you had to jump up having that land already having uh, animals on it, uh, more nitrogen or anything to the soil, or do you feel you had to rebuild that soil and bring it up to quality for your crops? And it's interesting to where we've been growing produce here. Um, we, I don't think any of it 
most of it hadn't been grazed and had just kind of been like a field part of it even it had been um an old house the original house on this property is like in a corner of our our vegetable field um so there's like some odd fill dirt um in there so we've definitely amended um we've added a lot of compost especially in the first couple of years here um and then in the last three years um we've gotten pretty serious about soil testing and added more in the way of like micronutrients um and making mm-hmm. sure that there's been enough nitrogen we realize that our compost isn't gonna ever provide like be the sole source of nitrogen for our vegetables so we started adding chicken manures and blood meals and different sources of nitrogen to make sure that our, our crops would grow strong and then like the, the healthier the crop is the more photosynthesis they're performing and the more carbon exudates they're putting into the ground so it, it'll kind of start becoming exponential as the crops get healthier yeah our first few years with the compost focus we definitely were trying to just focus on like soil health which we still 100% do but definitely realized that okay we need to add maybe a little bit more diversity into the soil um, nutrient wise to really bump up that soil health and then the crop health Awesome. So you mentioned that you have um, pigs and cows, and is there any other livestock that you also have? Not currently. We're, okay. we're down to two chickens. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Two. How do you get eggs we out used of only to two? Do, I, think, I think we used to have <laughs> One's a rooster. like 100 or something. We used to do laying hens, but we kind of got out of that and just do the pigs and cows. Awesome. And so how are your animals treated on your farm and what is their impact on that land? So the the cows are kind of more, I guess, extensive on the property. So we do rotational grazing and move them, you know, every couple of days to twice a day, um, kind of averaging once a day move. And so we're trying to do a lot of impact with the cows and then get them out of that spot. so that the land can can come back and then in the winter we have them in a barn um, for like a month and then collect a, all their manure and they're living on um, wood chips and we just keep adding wood chips and so they're composting in place and then we can clean all that out and make our compost for the garden um, the last two winters we've been unrolling hay bales on top of the ground and fields and feeding them on there for the rest of the time. And that's just been trying to add more carbon and nitrogen to the soil and kind of stir things up and, and promote some growth. The pigs are more intensive, I guess. Um, we used to raise them outside and move them around and stuff, but it was just really stressful and they would always get out no matter how good of a job we would do. Um, it's just very difficult. So we end and in the summer it's really hot. So then you have to have shade, and shade can blow around in the wind, and it is just a whole nightmare. So now we raise them in a barn um, with a deep litter pack. So it's kind of the same idea. They're living on wood chips, and um, they defecate, and then we add more wood chips, and so it's this live bedding pack that they're that they're living on, and then we can clean that out and turn that add that to our our compost. And, and it ends up in the garden. And it's nice that the, the barn we're talking about, it's the same barn for the pigs and the cows. Um, so it was the old hay barn, I believe, that was here on the property. Um, and we've been able to kind of retrofit it for pigs and their deep um, bedding mulch. And it has big open sides. Um, so even in the summer months, it's cool and breezy. Um, and yeah, and then in the winter, they're just, they do great in the winter. That's our favorite time to raise pigs, and they're just all cozy in, in the barn. Um, they always have water. We it, give them lots of hay. I know we, yeah, we. It we has been a lot more, more for our personality, at least. We can manage their health much better in the system. And if you don't want me asking, what uh, what breeds do you have? For the cows, we have. Um, the bull we're using is a red Angus bull. 
and the guy that we um, borrow him from tries to get pretty good genetics and then he gets a new bull every three years so kind of keeps the genetics as fresh as possible and then for the cows that we're breeding they're black angus and herford crosses and then we're starting we're trying to kind of just figure out what we like best but we also bought some simmental and black angus crosses red angus and then a couple of purebred red angus heifers and then we also have a milking shorthorn dairy cow which is makes she makes really nice calves when she's bred to this um, red angus beef bowl so just kind of experimenting and trying to find animals that birth really easy and that grow nice on just grass and then for the pigs we try to do a like a three-way cross so ideally the the sows are uh, for us at least i like them to be like yorkshire hampshire and then bred to a like a berkshire boar or a duroc boar um and we don't raise sows we just buy wiener piglets from people so i'm curious so um how large is your farm and what is like the perfect capacity of how much livestock you should have. You have a, a great regenerative practice, the rotational grazing going on. So what's the right number of livestock um, in order to make sure that, you know, you're getting the, the right amount of nutrients and everything into your soil? And it's One of the limiting capacities for us, because we also do produce, is just like, um, like our time that we can manage and be like good do good animal husbandry Mm -hmm. and we've had too many pigs before and the pigs were okay but it was like too stressful for us and I don't think I was adding enough wood chips all the time and I just felt like we weren't doing the best job we could um so in our and in that barn with our personality we've kind of come up with 15 pigs at a time is a good number and if we can do you know, 15 to 60 pigs a year, that's kind of, that's possible, you know, that's doable for us. We haven't done 60 in a long time, in a few years. Um, So I guess we've just been doing like 15 to 30 now. Um, Then for cows, similar thing, we've always had low numbers of cattle, and this year we have 24 right now, and we're having more calves as we speak. So we're, constantly being like aware of like when we haven't hit the point where it's like this is overwhelming but I think if we have like 30 cows then it <laughs> might get a little bit overwhelming and like okay let's let's sit at that 20 25 is just right for us and then the big thing with cows is buying hay for the winter so we're gonna have to spend like ten thousand dollars on hay this year which is kind of a, a big new bill for us mm-hmm. um, and so we're planning on doing that but maybe we decide that that's too much money to spend. We don't want to have that many cows over there. Yeah, our goal has been, like, over the past several years to have 10 mama cows, so 10 cow-calf pairs per year, which ends up being about 30 cows, like, at a time, um, in which we actually have, so we've, we've gathered all these mamas. This year, we're only having five calves, um, but next we're, we'll be breeding, I think we'll be breeding 10 this year. Um, so we're kind of, we've met that goal. So we'll see, <laughs> you know, we'll see if, okay, that feels good or if that's too much. Um, and this year's kind of scary just with how dry it is. Mm-hmm. If we have to start buying X, you know, more hay than we're planning on, then that would kind of affect things. So we have 50 acres on our property and then we're, using um, a neighbor's letting us graze on probably another 50 acres and that 50 acres is in kind of like lower land that's um, in magical a, in a creek bottom and sub irrigated <laughs> and so that's where they are right now and if something changed with that property then we couldn't have as many cows as we do or we'd just have to feed too much hay and it would be tough for his it is yeah we're definitely our 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 own pasture uh, is definitely higher, it's drier. Um, there's not very many trees, so 
so that's something that is in the short-term plan um, so this fall we would really like to plant some more trees kind of around the border just to start that process of adding more shade and uh, doing some some tree islands and with other vegetation kind of in the middle uh, throughout the, the pasture um, to add more diversity and shade and try to help it be a little bit less of a desert. Awesome. Uh, we're excited to see how that goes. All right. Sounds like you have a wonderful game plan there. Um, the next step <laughs> has to be the processing of your animals. Do y'all do that on site or do y'all take that out somewhere? So we do, um, we haul everything to Sandpoint, and the, the butcher's name is Wood, Wood Meat Processing, and they've been around a long time, and that's who we've used from the very beginning. So we just have a really good relationship with them, and they get us butcher dates when we need them, um, and we know what we're going to get back. And so the pigs and the cows all go there, and then it's, since it is USDA, then that's kind of what allows us to sell at retail cuts from the farm and to the restaurant. Has COVID uh, affected you in any way as far as the numbers that you can get processed? It, um, Like I say, for us, it, it wasn't an issue because our butcher, like they told, they stopped taking new customers and then they just like knew that we were going to come. <laughs> Well, so and you I think that, that, rapport, we, that loyalty. Nice. Yeah. And we've tried to, we always try to make a butcher date like at least six months ahead of time um, for cows. And so as soon as we get wiener pigs, basically we make a butcher date um, is our goal because it, we keep them for four to six months. Uh, <laughs> and so, right, yeah, right now I. I was a little bit slow, and so I'm trying to make a butcher date for this winter as um, soon as it's January. Um, so we're so we have some January butcher dates, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, you try to call early. <laughs> so he's good. You, you call early, <laughs> especially in this new world of COVID. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, obviously, rotational grazing is a huge impact on you know, providing those nutrients for your soil and everything. Um, what are some of the other regenerative practices that you've established on your farm? Um, and how did you learn about those practices and, or be, come to know about them? Um, so within the garden, from the very beginning, um, we've our goal has been to be no or minimal till. Um, the first year on our, our lease property, we... Um, I think we like rented a sod cutter, like took it really seriously. Like basically it was a, it was a really nice pasture. Um, so we really lucked out with the soil quality there, but we like just planted into mowed grass. And the, basically. And, or we sod cut it and sod flipped cut, over the flipped sod. It. And we, we did use some mulch. So we ended up using some paper mulch. So this first year, like we look back on that and we're like, we were crazy. What were we thinking? But, <laughs> It was cool. We were really determined to be no-till. Um, and <laughs> and the reason was because in Montana, we helped start another farm, and it was um, near the Clark Fork River. And the year we started, we, like, rototilled everything. And I rototilled it with a big tractor, like, four times, killing the grass. And then it flooded, and all of the topsoil got washed away, and all you could see was, like, that hard pan and, like, mm-hmm. the divots from the rototiller. And so it was just like really in my mind that mm-hmm. like, you, any machinery is going to cause a hard pan and that's not what you're supposed to do. Um, yeah, so that was a stark image. And then since we start, we've um, we've been using in the garden a, a BCS walking tractor with a, a power harrow has been our main tool. So that's been our like minimal tillage. Um, the last couple of years, we've definitely moved away from that and have just, we've formed like our permanent beds, um, first using some, we used a plow, um, and then our power harrow. And now we're kind of set up, um, that most of our beds are just permanent. And so we're able to just use a lot of, um, tarps, so like black silage tarps, 
um, that we can lay out over a whole, you know, 100 foot or 50 foot long plot. And then that really helps. Um, it acts basically as it, it helps kill weeds and kind of gives you a fresh start, <laughs> um, which is nice. So instead of tilling, um, we're able to use that tool and then also just planting um, in quick succession. So if we take one crop out, it's ready to plant again, right, basically right away. And so we, we try to plant right away. Um, so yeah, within the garden. So our goal, our, no our goal is the day, hopefully in the next year or two years, we can sell our BCS and not have it here. <laughs> because to tempt us. To, to <laughs> tempt us. Because when we get stressed out and like, oh, there's a bunch of weeds there, like an easy, fast, big tool to grab and solve the problem but it has never solved the problem and it always makes it worse. Um, and we've been, I've, I've wanted to keep it around um, to buy. I, we've wanted to get a, um, uh, flail some, a flail mower implement for it. And we haven't, we've been on the fence almost have a couple times. Um, a flail mower basically just it can like mow down pretty tall crops and just like chop them up to nothing. And so it leaves a nice mulch. And then that's a really good, um, place to then put a tarp on top of and help that decompose and then you can plant it in you know even like two weeks um, in the summertime after you tarp it but we've ended up just using um, a lawnmower which has been really nice actually because sometimes if there's weeds that we haven't got to and they're like almost going to seed we can bag it um, and then take take those weed seeds away which is a nice tool and then it also works to just chop up um, whatever debris you have um, to give you a clean slate. Um, and then the reason we're we're doing no-till is for to to reduce that um, compaction, and then also just increase our soil biodiversity, um, water retention, just a healthier soil and farm ecosystem. Awesome. Well, and you guys are bringing up some really good points. And um, Jorge, I love that um, story that you just told about how you have that image in your mind of when you did do the tilling and how, you know, you saw the runoff, you have that image in your head. And so I kind of want to elaborate on that, um, that a little bit. But so one of the main principles of regenerative agriculture is the idea of mimicking nature. So in in your guys' own words, how does regenerative agriculture mimic? mimic nature i guess what i've always had in madison too i mean we've always been talking about this and trying to figure it out like in a forest there's like the humus has three layers and like the a b and c horizon and so like a would be the pine needles that just fell b would be the pine needles from last year and c would be the pine needles from two years ago for example and so the pine needles from two years ago in the sea layer are like almost humus and that's like what's feeding the system and that's what the plants are like growing off of. And then the next layer is like decomposing, getting ready for the next year. And then the top layer is what's being dropped on top. And so how can we have a garden or a pasture where there's always carbon residue like building up enough that there are layers actively decomposing in the field and then still growing crops and adding more um, to just have that battery. And so whatever we can do to do that, um, I think is just like, that's to me what regenerative agriculture is and that's just mimicking what a forest does. And then we've also um, realized that just having kind of an open, you know, pasture or an open vegetable field um, isn't what most landscapes are like. And so adding more shade and more um, like hedgerows and diversity of size and type of, uh, of plants and then therefore animals too um, is something that we've been working on. So we've planted a couple of hedgerows this year and they're working on planting more trees um, and bushes around our garden, um, and as I mentioned, then back in our back pasture too. Um, 
so just diversifying that landscape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so as you're talking about biodiversity, I kind of want to explore that a little bit more. Um, why is biodiversity so important to regenerative agriculture? I think it's just part, like, you're just more protected for more problems. Yeah. More <laughs> From resilient. more problems. So you're more resilient. So this, there's just more backups. And, and I think you're more resistant and you're more resilient. So, like, you're more resistant in the sense that if there's more trees, then there is more shade, so you're more protected from drought in the first place. And if you have like different species of trees, then maybe one ends up dying from the drought, but the other, it does fine. And so you're resilient in that way. And so just turn it, we've always grown our garden like that. And that's one of the reasons why we have so many different crops. If all the corn dies or gets a pest, it doesn't really matter. And I think like our CSA customers might be disappointed that there's not corn this year, but maybe the pumpkins did really well. So they have more pumpkins than they know what to do with. So it's just, <laughs> just kind of accepting those ebb and flows with that happen because of the weather or pests or whatever nature throws at you. And it doesn't matter as much when you're diverse, when you're, when you're, what you're trying to farm is diverse, I guess. Yeah. Which I guess is also mimicking nature um just like a healthy natural ecosystem is generally very diverse on all levels mm-hmm. so that it can handle problems yeah take right. care of itself i really like how you're saying that your your care of the land going from the photosynthesis to the carbon sequestering in the soil it's a uh, it's an amazing process that you have there do you during the season, ever take any of your beds out of production and do cover crop or even fallow, uh, leave them fallow? We've been starting to work on cover crops and are kind of enjoying it. Um, that's, we don't totally have like our like uh, standard operating <laughs> procedures like in place. And so we've just been kind of experimenting on when the best time to do different things is. Ideally, we would just, the cover crop would be like another crop but like to go from arugula and then plant kale then you're still like having the carbon cycle function I guess you're taking away from the soil a little bit since you're harvesting the kale versus a cover crop that maybe you mow and just like leave there um, so we've been doing the cover crop kind of late fall having them come into spring and then trying to terminate them in the spring, which the trying to terminate part for like organic people and for no-till people is very difficult. Um, yeah, especially yeah for those overwintered cover crops, they're pretty hardy usually. And um, so this year we try. This year we did end up plowing up some cover crops because our timing wasn't right, and it's like okay, we need to plant carrots, and there's this triticale growing. How are we going to plant carrots? Okay, let's plow it and, <laughs> and start over. But the carrots are hitting a plow pan and are getting crooked. And when we try to dig them up with a pitchfork, I can feel the, the pan I just made. So that's not the right thing to do. But then we had another, the same triticale in a different plot planted at the same time. It got big enough that we were able to kind of roll it down. And then we did end up... Um, mowing it with a, just our mulching mower but it and we put a tarp on it for a couple of weeks so it's not regrowing and is dead and then we were able to just plant pumpkins and corn into that but that was like a longer process that had more thought and then like I say it took more time um, so it's, it's hard to not figure out the timing part. So we're interested um, after so the triticale was a great cover crop but realizing that it was difficult to terminate um so this year we're thinking we'll try to do more kind of late summer um like frost kill like buckwheat um cover crops and then it'll just winter kill um and we'll be able to leave the residue and then have an easier time planting um, one thing though with the spring. like the tritic the late fall stuff we didn't irrigate it which was cool and so if we did if we do try like buckwheat or other like late summer 
middle of summer cover crops, then we'd have to water it, which is okay, but it's like another thing to set up and then it's just more water to use. So it's just kind of not quite sure yet. Sounds like you, sounds like your rotations are really down pat. Um, you got your crops and you got your protein that you, you move. Um, Vets in the Farm has also bought some soil from you um, that you make yourself there on the farm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> the base of it is our compost, which is like decomposed wood chips that then went into the livestock bedding. And then, so then we have those decomposed wood chips mixed with cow manure and pig manure. And then that kind of the animals are living on that. And then in the spring, I scrape that all out with the tractor. And then we do a lot of microgreens all year. Um, and so we have a lot of leftovers, I guess, from that that have a little bit of like the stems left, but it's a lot of like peat moss and perlite and vermiculite um, that gets mixed in too. And then we add like whatever garden waste we have as well. And then so just mix that up and that's kind of our compost base. And then um, we buy peat moss and perlite and then the different organic nutrients. And then right now we're just mixing it up with the tractor bucket, which mm-hmm. is getting the job done. Um, and then putting it in tote bags. Um, that's how that's on the farm bought it this year. And Snapdragon Power Farm bought a tote as well. And then we bagged it in like 20 pound bags for um, our retail sales as well. And it's something that we're pretty excited about. And we've been using, we use a ton of it at our farm. And so we just, some of the, the big thing we would like to add more of or would be um, like a wedding, some type of wedding agent. So it's not so dry when you put it in trays and start watering it. It soaks up water better. And then, um, just making sure that like our the time release of the different nutrients is right so that people's plants still look green and don't need other fertilizers. I will say our plants did love it. They thrived in it. And you just mentioned a wetting agent, but I found that it held more water than some of the soil that we had got uh, from other places. So uh, cool. thank you. Cool. Really, really great product. Really great soil. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm... Um, really curious about this because you don't or I don't hear about buying soils from farms you know on a, a daily daily basis um is this something that you offer like all year round or was it just a certain time of the year that you had this going on um you know would other farms that might be listening be able to reach out to you for some of this product or yeah definitely so right now we have a couple of I don't know I think we have like four one yard tote bags sitting around that are already ready to go and then we made up a pallet of the individual ones just for people's pots and small gardens and stuff so we have it right now it was definitely more in our minds and we were making it more proactively and talking about it more in the spring um, when we were really using it but I'd like to get set up and make a bunch of it this fall and I think it would be nice for different farms or gardeners to buy it this fall. And so that like, first thing in the spring, they're just ready to go instead of having it be like a last minute thing of like, oh, let's start the greenhouse. Oh, wait, we have to order soil mix. Um, so we'll see how that goes. We're <laughs> like right now we're shoveling it into the tote bags by hand. Oh. <laughs> and so there's some different pieces of equipment that <laughs> we would yeah. like to expand and improve to make it more efficient. Um, but I think it could be a, like a, a valuable um, revenue stream for us and it's something that we're like proud of and since it's the majority of it's just our compost it's, it's, it's kind of unique in its own way too no that's great that's really cool love learning about that um and i think this is just a good spot in the middle to say anybody interested in reaching out to jorge or madison um about um, just some of the practices that they've done so far or some of the soil that they build themselves. Um, they do have a fabulous web- website, Casacano Farms with an S dot com. 
and there you are able to find some contact information to them, learn more about their farm. Um, but you guys also did mention that you also have a CSA program. And so I want to know why did you opt in for this type of program and what was the process like getting a CSA started up? Yeah. Um, so we've, so over the last seven seasons, we, we started with a very small CSA our first year. And then I think it was our second year we went away from that um, and kind of did um, a different membership program, but different than the typical um, CSA where um, usually you, a customer, you know, buys in at the beginning of the season, which then helps the farm you know buy their seeds and soil mix and all of their supplies for their growing year and then over the course of the season once the farm starts harvesting um, then the customer gets a weekly or bi-weekly or however it's set up share of the produce um, so we went back to doing a more traditional style CSA um, three years ago um, and just like it we were at a place where you know okay we have enough space we're able to grow, you know, that X amount of each, you know, diverse um, product that we wanted to, um, so that we felt like we could actually, like, fill the CSA boxes um, so that they'd be, you know, good quality boxes. And we've really enjoyed it. Um, we like, <laughs> Jorge and I, that pack, I've, I've kind of been more focused on the, the vegetable side of things on the farm, and then Jorge is definitely more focused on the livestock, um, both the cows and the pigs. Um, but we both come together for the CSA <laughs> um, nice. packing. And so we kind of, we have just a system that works for us, and it ends up being pretty fun and fast. Um, so we enjoy that part of it. I enjoy putting together, like, okay, what am I going to harvest? I do my field walk, and then I, I like coming up with a recipe um, and sharing that with our CSA members. So it's kind of fun and it feels more connected. Um, and I think last year was kind of a funny year. So we didn't have any tours or do any, you know, on-farm mm -hmm. um, CSA events, but it would be fun to add that in um, because we have for our specific CSA program, um, customers have the option of picking up on farm or we also have two drop points in Spokane, one on the South Hill and then one downtown at Missouri in the community building. And so for especially for folks who pick off pick up off farm, it's nice for them to be able to come and take a tour and see actually where their food is grown. Um, so it, that part's been fun. It's yeah, it's been just kind of, it's a nice way to <laughs> To know, okay, so we have our, it's like a, a network of customers, kind of, and we know, like, okay, here are our farm members, and it's nice to feel loyal towards them and know that they're loyal towards us, too. So it feels good. Are you, um, are you taking any more um, customers for your CSA program, or have you kind of capped out, or? This year, so our CSA started the first week of June. Um, so we've kind of closed taking new members this year. Um, usually somebody always joins mid-season and we're totally fine with that. And we say, you know, convince us and that's okay. Um, <laughs> we add them in. Um, and then, so in addition to doing the CSA, we also do, uh, where we've been open on just Thursday afternoons from 3 to 6 on farm and then we also do online orders so people can shop on the website um, so you can shop for produce or meat um, and then in the springtime we also grow a lot of nursery starts so like vegetable starts for your garden I start a lot of petunias we do hanging baskets and um, a whole diversity mm -hmm. of <laughs> starts and kind of try for people who are interested in the CSA in the future but maybe aren't quite sure and don't know if they want to commit to that much produce um being able to like pick and choose what you want is a good option and it's a good way to like see if you like what we do um and then if you find yourself buying a lot of produce from us every week then a csa might be a, a good option for the kind of people mm -hmm. for next year so uh, you have an yeah. online presence you do a csa you do a market you sell soil you have livestock you grow veggies 
do the two of you do all of this by yourselves? Yeah. <laughs> but we have a, we have a lot of help and support. <laughs> we, as I said, we have, um, our parents all live in Spokane and so they're close. Um, and so they all come out and help out. Um, and we have other family that helps too. So it's, um, we're, yeah, we're the main ones, but then we, we definitely have support. Um, I know. It's a little yeah. bit. Well, it's, we're at the it's point completely where like, crazy, okay. and I don't know that I would recommend what we're doing to other people like this <laughs> amount of this. But for us, and like, like we've had it in our head that in order to succeed, we have to have diversity, and diversity is like crazy and makes us not as focused on any individual thing. But we're a lot more like resilient to change or to problems, and we're and be flexible and have all these different avenues. So if some, okay, no one signs up for the CSA one year, we'd be okay. We'd make it work by kind of increasing the meat production and moving things around. But even though it's crazy, I think we find some security in that chaos um, for like our viability and sustainability of our business. Mm -hmm. No, that's awesome. Well, and um, also there was a recent article that came out in the Edible Inland Northwest magazine, um, and it really shared how you guys have built some really great relationships with some restaurants around um, town um, that focus on placing a lot of your farm products on their menu. And so I'm curious as to how you established those great relationships, and also what was it like riding that COVID wave with them last year? So we're really lucky that we grew up here. And mm -hmm. I mean, we also we chose to be here. So I guess part of it was a choice. But I think we chose to be here once we realized, okay, if we start a farm here, we have a customer base and we have connections and family, friends, um, and a, a place to start versus if we moved to to somewhere where we had no connections I think it'd be a lot harder to get started and so we, right now we sell the South Perry Pizza Wild Sage and Luna and so South Perry Pizza the owner is was a dad of um, a soccer player who played soccer with my brother in high school <laughs> and <laughs> that same soccer player is named Taylor Syok and he started working at Luna as a pastry chef there. Um, and he came to the farmer's market and was like, hey, Jorjito, Jorge, like, how's it going? I'm working at Luna now. Do you guys want to sell us stuff? And then Wild Sage, the head chef, um, one of our customers was his doctor. Oh <laughs> and gosh. so it's just like the restaurants that we've ended up sticking with, we just have these like really like deep, ties and deep connections with um and for us that's just been awesome restaurants that because we used to sell to a lot more restaurants around town and it was always just more stressful with those relationships because there wasn't that background i guess mm -hmm. um so it's just been great <laughs> and restaurants contact us um to see if we're interested in selling more and we just haven't been um the ones that we work with we're able to just really focus on them and do what we say we're going to do and be as consistent as we possibly can and i just think that's been a huge key to our success is find the fewest number of restaurants that'll you know support us the most and spend the most money just in these, in these few stops is just really simplified things um for the covid Two of the restaurants, Luna and South Perry Pizza, they were able to do the takeout orders and, and they, they made it work. They've been around for a long time and um, and so we, we kind of did okay with them uh, financially over the summer. Um, Wild Sage, they decided to close. Um, they're more of like a, they're more of a, a dinner oriented restaurant, I guess. Um, and so they took some time off um, and so that affected us but they're back on board now and they've been around for a long time also and so now they're, they're doing great and so we're really glad we stuck with them. 
Well, I I have to say it's just such a I love the story that you're telling. You know, you grew up here, you met here, you decided to stay local, you decided to, you know, um, work with those relationships that you have built. And it really is inspiring, you know, that you just have such a positive relationship with where you've grown up and sticking to, you know, your local community and wanting to, you know, also support these other businesses as well. So, um, no, that's, that's really cool. I really love that. So anybody who is maybe a young farmer or thinking they want to stay in Spokane, they want to contribute, like who is going to grow our food in the future? Um, I just think that's such a great message for those young farmers. Yeah, just start, just start small and start with the connections that you already have and do the best job that you possibly can. And then I, like our thought when we got started was like, if we can do enough, a good enough job with our friends and family that they'll tell their friends and family mm-hmm. and then then that's kind of the key but because your friends problem. and family are always going to support you but are you good are you doing a good enough job that they're excited to spread the word and and I think that that it takes time but I think that's just the best it's a slow process um, and that was something that we weren't anticipating when we started I, and that we still struggle with we sometimes Things like to go faster. To, yeah, how can we speed things up if we wanted to? But then we kind of always come back to, you know, like, I think there's something really valuable to, like, just using word of mouth um, and just keep, you know, doing, like, focusing on, where you know, we need to focus on the products that we're growing, um, both produce, meat, plant starts, just keep doing the best job we can and um, let the product speak for itself. So, with everything that you do, which is, is super abundant, um, what do you feel is the most just challenging aspect about farming right now? <laughs> Today, it's hot. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, I think, I, I, sometimes I think it's farming. Um, it's, you know, we place we we strive for so much control over you know every everything we're growing but there's so much that's out of our control because we're we're growing mostly outside um and you know it's totally weather dependent you know this year it's predicted to be a really bad drought um so that changes things i mean having like almost a week of 100 degree weather is definitely going to um take its toll on some of our crops. So I think just the struggle of trying to control so much, but having most of it really be quite out of your control is is hard to reckon with sometimes, for me at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just there's a lot to, on any farm, even if you're just produce or just ranching or whatever anyone's doing, it's really complex. And so there's all these placeholders that you have in your mind. And for us, at least, we're like running around too much to take good notes all the time. I don't know any farmer who takes really good notes. Maybe some <laughs> do, but we're just like, I know you kind of, you're, I don't know, it's almost like this crazy, crazy artistic brain where you're just trying to like do your best and put all this together. And a little bit here, a little bit there. Make this beautiful work of art that's your farm. Um, but like Madison's saying, it, it never works out how you envisioned it. And so reconciling that and not be beating yourself up too bad when it, I guess, and, and learning to appreciate the art that you did come up with and the successes that you do have. Um, but it's on a daily basis, there's just so many different things that you want to do or could do or think you should do that. It's just, that's just pretty stressful. That's a, that's a wonderful mindset to think like that. What, um, what new things do you think are going to be on the horizon uh, for the farm here coming up? Besides bunkering down, drinking more water, and trying to stay out of the 108 <laughs> degrees. Right. Um, yeah, well, I think we're, we're kind of just excited. I mean, what the soil mix is exciting um, to kind of, you know, bump that up a little bit maybe. And then 
Um, we're kind of trying to just our whole we're so this is our eighth season. So we've been in, we've been in business for seven years, and we've said for a while that we just need to keep doing what we're doing for ten until the business is ten years old. So we have a few more years of just kind of doing exactly, trying to like perfect it, do the best we can with the current system <laughs> we have, and then. And then after 10 years, kind of see if we, if there's something we want to let go or if there's other things we want to pursue. Yeah, dive more into. Put more into, but right for the near future anyways, we're just going to keep chugging along. Nice. Well, and so did I hear that there's a little, another little farmhand on the way? Yes. <laughs> yes, and we're expecting another in November. And we currently have a two and a half year old, so I'd a big thing for next year and kind of what we're realizing this year is, and I don't know if it's because we're getting older or because we like our perspective has changed with being parents, but we keep coming back to, we need some more help. <laughs> we, we need to have a, <laughs> an employee or just to be able to not be so strung out and be able to enjoy ourselves and our farm and our family more. Yeah. Well, congratulations, you guys. And um, I am curious, too, what is it like having the two-year-old um, on the farm and growing up on the farm <laughs> and learning? I mean, I'm sure that, you know, you can just see how much they're absorbing and <laughs> learning. It's been it's been a lot of fun, of course, mm-hmm. um, but also, you know, realizing I it kind of makes you jump around a lot more. Um, so instead of being able to like focus on, okay, I'm going to plant this one bed of whatever, you know, maybe I get 10 feet in and then, um, you know, maybe those plants I just planted all got pulled up. And so we have to switch gears and we have to go and pick some cucumbers (laughs) to eat. Um, and so it's kind of, it's been, yeah, it's been a learning curve for us. And, um, you know, as anyone who knows little kids, knows they they're changing and he is just constantly learning and mm-hmm. um figuring things out so it's just yeah we're we're just all kind of learning together and and we're lucky we have um as i mentioned our, our parents are close and so they're able to come out and play with him um you know a few times a week which has been a great help for those times when i want to buckle down and plant that bed of lettuce or whatever <laughs> i can do that then um Without fear of disruption. (laughs) (laughs) But lots of fun. And it's, yeah, it's it's been cool. Very cool. Well, um, you guys, this has been such a great interview. I mean, you say this is only your eighth season, and I feel like, you know, just from what you've shared, it seems like you've been doing this a lot longer. But, um, you know, from the rotational grazing to the regenerative practices that you guys do, um, so I'm sure our listeners are going to want to get their hands on uh, some of your product now after listening to this. So um, tell us where they can find you or purchase online. Yes, you can buy directly from us um, by ordering online. And then the online order you pick up at the farm Thursdays from 3 to 6. Um, we also have kind of a display out Thursday. Um, from three to six as well, and we're in Valley Forge. And then the CSA, um, we have a drop point on the Upper South Hill right by Bember Park, Kazuri uh, in the community building downtown, and on the farm again. And then the three restaurants that uh, buy from us, and the busier they are, the more they order. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they're great to support. They're Southbury Pizza and the Sausage pizzas and the lettuce and irregular are all ours and then uh, wild sage other microgreens and lettuce mix um, and then they, they kind of go through some other vegetables as well and then luna the um, hamburgers ours and the bacon's ours kale salad kale salad the lettuce luna salad with the luna salad um, and and then kind of fill in another vegetable and different types of good places that end up supporting us. Awesome. Well, I have three dinner recommendations for tonight, Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Luna's right up the road from me. I exactly. think I'm going to have to go visit it. <laughs> 
Awesome. Well, and we also know you guys have um, a presence on Facebook, on Instagram, and then like we mentioned earlier, the website casaconofarms.com. And make sure you go and check out their farm stand in Valley Ford every Thursday from 3 to 6. Um, so to kind of wrap up our interview, you guys, we love to play a little round of just a spitfire game where we get to ask you some random questions so our listeners get to know you a little better. You down? Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Awesome. Okay. To start us off, what is a food you can't live without? Uh-oh, we're slow. <laughs> no, that's okay. Take your time. Um, beef. Beef is yeah. my answer. <laughs> yeah, beef's a good answer. I'll say beef, too. <laughs> All right, so I got to ask. This is the one I always love. I think it shows a little bit about personality. Uh, what's your favorite movie and the favorite quote from it? Oh. Documentaries count. I, I always say uh, Horace Gump. And nice. life is like a box of chocolate. <laughs> there you go. Heck yeah. That's a good one. That is a good one. Madison, anything coming to mind? <laughs> I, um, I know. What's my favorite movie? I really, right now, I've been thinking a lot of the movie Midnight in Paris. But, and I don't know any quotes from it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I I was going to get your favorite movie. Really? Yeah, that's funny. Awesome. Um, what was the first car each of you drove? A Saturn. And the Saturn Madison bought for five hundred dollars from a family friend. From a family friend, and that's still what we do restaurant for the Nice. That's hundred thousand awesome. miles. Like, yeah, that has two hundred thirty thousand miles. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Very well done. It's a little teeny car. Like it's great gas mileage. It's great gas mileage. That's great. No, I can stuff that thing totally full of turkey. That's and awesome. And then my first car was a, a Nissan Pathfinder. All right. Nice. Dwayne, what was your first car? Oh, I'm kind of embarrassed to say. <laughs> um, no. So my first car was actually a uh, Chevy S10. It was a wonderful little truck. Oh, that's nice. After that, I kind of went a little different route and had a uh, an eclipse for a while, and I kind of hang my head on that one. So <laughs> we won't go into that. <laughs> um. Okay. Here's another one. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live and why? Oh, right here. Yeah. yeah I wouldn't. Loyal to Spokane. Yeah. I guess so, yeah. Yeah, for better or for worse, we're still here. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, I'm going to move it back to farming here. If you had one crop that you had to keep, what would it be? And if you had one crop that you could just get rid of, what would it be? Hmm. I would say keep tomatoes and Lettuce mix has been really good for our business, but it's a ton of work. I'd mm. get rid of it. Yeah, I second. I think that. I would keep, I would keep carrots, and I would get rid of spinach. Okay. Is that a taste <laughs> because thing I or think a it's a thing? Uh, a harvest thing. Okay. <laughs> and and seasonal timing. <laughs> All right, and last one that we always ask our ask our guests is the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. Oh, I'd say the Beatles. I'm gonna go with the Rolling Stones. Oh, how's divided? Oh, nice. <laughs> tough though. That's a good question. <laughs> oh, awesome. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna have to tally the these points up too on that question. <laughs> have a reveal at the end of our last show. Well, Jorge and Madison, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and chat with us today um, and go through all of our questions. We know that you are busy and your time is precious. And so we really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. We had a lot of fun and it's always fun to talk about farming. So thank you. 
Yes. And for our listeners, make sure that you go and give them a like on Facebook and on Instagram, Casacano Farms. And also, don't forget to check out their website, CasacanoFarms.com. And again, check out their farm stand. Go and get to know your farmer every Thursday from 3 to 6 at their farm in Valley Ford. And additional information about Casacano Farms and the other South Spokane Farm Corridor farms can be found at SouthSpokaneFarmCorridor.com. Thanks so much, you guys. Thank you. Thanks. Y'all have a great one. Rocks to Roots is sponsored by the Office of Farmland Preservation. Office of Farmland Preservation is a program within the Washington State Conservation Commission that works to address the rapid loss of working farm and forest lands in our state. Together, the Washington State Conservation Commission and conservation districts provide voluntary, incentive-based programs that empower private landowners to implement conservation on their property. You can learn more about their programs and services by visiting their website, scc.wa.gov.